Whenever I type in the word farmer into the engine that is Google, what comes up? Plaid, for one. Straw hats, maybe a pitchfork, some tractors, maybe the odd bushel basket or somebody holding a chicken. But the rarity that goes with that search is a woman. That's despite the fact that here in Canada, the number of women farming continues to grow, up over 27% now. It's a number that few realize since the stereotype is so strong for old man when it comes to thinking about a farmer. I'm Andrew Campbell and this is Food Bubble where we talk food including the question today, is that stereotype as strong around farms as it is on Google? Are there unique challenges to farming as a woman? Is the conversation overblown? It's 2019, we can do anything we want, men can do anything they want. Those conversations are next, here on Food Bubble. Trillium Mutual Insurance is your ag insurer of choice in Ontario. They're farm insurance professionals who specialize in and understand Ontario agriculture, providing insurance solutions that are the best in the industry. We all know that insurance can be complicated, but does it have to be? Their real Ontario farm insurance brokers make it simple for you, providing the coverage you deserve. To find a broker partner near you, please visit their website, trilliummutual.com, and follow them on Facebook and Twitter at Trillium Mutual. Want to know more about where your food comes from in Canada? Farmfood360.ca gives you a 360-degree view of Canadian agriculture. There are dozens of videos featuring real Canadian farmers answering your questions about food, farming, and how it's all connected. You can even take virtual tours and see exactly what it's like to live and work on different Canadian farms. To learn more about Canadian agriculture, visit farmfood360.ca. It's hard to know where to start here because the two stories we're going to share today come from two of the most passionate and hardworking people I know. There's Sandy Brock along with her husband Mark. They have a sheep farm 45 minutes north of London in Perth County. County. We have been, well we've been grain farmers since Mark and I were third, I guess Mark is third generation farming on his home farm here. Uh, I worked when we got married, I worked for his in-laws. They had grain, plus they had a fairly large broiler breeder flock. So I helped manage that with his dad and his brother. It's kind of a unique situation. And now we, uh, in 2012, we kind of went our own way. And now I am managing a flock of about 450 sheep and helping Mark uh, still operate our grain farm. And there's Amanda as well. My name is Amanda Denhan, and I'm a full-time employee at uh, our home farm. I uh, do every day-to-day chores, field work, management, try and keep up with everybody else that's here. We milk 53 cows in a robot, a new robot facility, and we crop just under 500 acres. For both of these women, they grew up on a farm, in fact, both on dairy farms, including Sandy. Sheep uh, definitely was not on my radar. Growing up uh, just wasn't wasn't an option for me. Like it's, it's not that it wasn't an option, it just never crossed my radar. So I grew up on a dairy farm, and then uh, obviously the, the poultry. Uh, when we did some succession planning and came home, I was helping Mark in the fields, but uh, we did have an old... A pig barn that wasn't getting used and for me I've always 
had to have animals around. Um, I, I love livestock. I like, I like the challenge of livestock. I just, it's just all I've ever really known. So for me, it was a big void when I had to step away from the, from the poultry business because I didn't have that interaction with animals every day. And um, Mark was the one that actually suggested sheep and we researched it and just found, wow, this is a huge potential that our province or our country is just not, we're just not filling that uh, consistent demand that, that our country has all the time. So uh, I guess for a lack of anything else, I was a little bit scared of beef cows. They're big. Uh, the market wasn't, market's up and down, so was sheep, but uh, beef just seems to be one of those uh, things that was just way out of my comfort zone. Um, and sheep, Mark was like, you know, that's something, if we had the right systems in place, it's something you could probably do on your own with with the amount of knowledge you have in in dealing with flocks with the birds and then dealing with dairy with uh, what, what that all entails. So it was a good mix. The sheep ended up looking back now, it ended up being a real good fit for me because it did blend the experience that I've had in both industries. So the sheep arrived in 2012 to the farm. What did that look like, Sandy? So that first year we did renovate that uh, pig barn and it, uh, I think that first year I got up to about 150 ewes. Ewes being the female sheep that are going to have the lambs. And for us, we were looking at ways to, because the market, uh, of course, because I stepped into it, the market tanked that first year. Uh, so we were sweating a bit and we were looking at ways to decrease costs. And the biggest thing was to grow our own feed, obviously, because we're a grain farm. And in doing that, Mark said, I'm not going, I'm not going to grow, I'm not going to reserve or, you know, take out some crops out of our rotation for, for 150 sheep. It just doesn't make sense for that amount. And he said, if we're going to do this, we're going to have to do it seriously. And we're going to have to look at maybe expanding the flock to about 500. Um, and at the same time, just the way the stars aligned, a good friend of mine was wanting to get out and he had 350. So we went from 150 ewes in 2012 to 500 ewes in October of 2013. So quite a big jump. We built a new barn here on the home farm just across the road from the previous one. It's, it's a bigger uh, tarp barn called a Brightspan facility. And um, yeah, and just kind of just went for it. Uh, looking back, I'm not entirely sure that was the greatest thing to do, but we did it and here we are today. Then let's go back to that stereotype of a farmer. And I wonder if we can start with just what people think of when they think of farmer. I mean, when you travel, you sit on an airplane or chat with someone about what you do, do they expect you to be a farmer? No, they definitely don't. Um, I'm not, and I'm not going to say I, I'm not going to say it's because I'm female because I really don't think people uh, discount us as easy as maybe they would have maybe 20 or 30 years ago. But what they do look at is I look the same as them. I'm, I'm dressed the same most days as a normal person on a plane. I'm wearing my my Nike running shoes and my track pants. Like I'm, I'm look the same. So I, I think, I think the thing is, um, farmers are business people now. And, um, I think, I think the biggest shock to most people, uh, that get to know us is the fact that you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> you, but you're not, you know, you're not wearing your coveralls and, you're not, and, and, you know, in out there in the public, we, we don't wear that right but if they come to my farm I sure as heck look like a farmer I wear coveralls every day and I'm 
proud to because that's my uniform. And just like a doctor wears his, his doctor's coat, I wear my coveralls and I'm not, and if that's a stereotype, I really don't care because I, I wear it like a badge of honor. If Sandy is a new name for you, then you may be missing out in everything that she talks about on YouTube, having just been named as a rising star on the platform by YouTube itself. Just search Sheepishly Me and you can find her channel. Obviously, on your social media stuff, Sandy, people get to see, get to experience what you're doing. When you get those comments and feedback, are people commenting on those stereotypes or do they see you more as a farmer because they see you in your habitat of a barn or in a pair of overalls? I think um, the channel, if anything, um, they're very supportive. They're like, you're doing this by yourself. And I, I think they can't wrap their minds around that, that I don't have someone that they see necessarily because I'm not videotaping Mark right beside me all the time. But, but we have set up the barn. I think what people have a trouble wrapping their minds around is the fact that some of this stuff is hard to do by yourself. I don't, it doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man, but if you have the systems in place, it's very doable. And uh, I guess that's what I'm trying to prove in my videos that, that yes, it looks like a lot of work and it is a lot of work, but I also, we also spent quite a bit of money and capital to make it that I could do it by myself. Things aren't, you know, we have a handling system that stays set up because those things are heavy. So things like that is things that I try to promote that, you know, it's sometimes, yes, you can be cheap with stuff and that's cool and that's your prerogative, but it, also, it can also make the job really, really hard and overwhelming for someone. So we're trying to show that sometimes if you invest in yourself and your farm, then anyone can do it. I ba like my motto is like, I want this barn that, um, that quite literally anyone could take over if I'm sick tomorrow, someone could come in, I have it all wrote down, and they could do the job. You also get co-op students that come from the local high schools, which, while co-op programs are obviously really common, to have a person want to do one on a farm must be pretty special, but also that students want to come to your farm to do that co-op. Among those same lines, Ashley Ferreira, who is the one producing this episode, when she was thinking of people to talk to, she thought of you because... She said she looks up to you, and I know for high school students, that's part of the reason that they're aiming to your farm. You're a real role model to a lot of young people and a lot of young women. What kinds of things do you share with those people that do have an interest in, maybe not just being a farmer, but maybe being part of agriculture in a different kind of role? I think, so I've been blessed and lucky enough in my whole life that I've never been treated like a woman in agriculture. I've been treated like, get your ass to the barn, it's chore time. I don't care what gender you are, we have no other choice. You get to the barn, you do the work. And I think, I think we talk too much. And I think, I think our actions, it's just what you said, people are looking up to me, which, oh, God bless them all, don't look up to me. Um, but because I just do the work. I don't have to like stand on a soapbox and say, look at me, I'm a woman and I can do this. Like, it's not easy. It's not always easy. And I have to rely on Mark like a lot because some, some of the things I'm just not strong enough. And some of the jobs are just easier and easier on my mental wellness. If there's two people, there's another person helping me. And I think we have to get over ourselves because I'm, I'm also very proud and I don't like asking for help. And that is a huge, uh, that's, that's not a good trait. Um, 
And I think we need to get past this um, notion of, you know, I am woman, hear me roar. I, I think we're all better together. And, and, and I, I think you just have to prove yourself by doing the work and, and let the actions and let your success speak for you being a woman who farms instead of like, instead of just all this talk. It's 2019. We can do anything we want. Men can do anything they want. Like I, I, we don't make a big deal about men being farmers, but we seem to make a big deal about women being farmers. And, and I guess it just with age, I'm thinking all this time when I was thinking maybe I was um, targeted because I'm a woman who farms. I think all it was, was I just hadn't earned my stripe. People just want to see you succeed or fail or um, come back after failing and prove yourself. I think that's all it is. And it just takes time. Well, and as you said, there are jobs that you want Mark's help for, but I know that he needs your help on the grain side and he really relies on you. So it really isn't anything but a partnership, it sounds like. Absolutely. And, and we, you know, we know that it's a part of our core value. It's our business plan. And we're no different than, you know, a man and a woman starting a business together, but not farming. Like you just know what your strengths are and you work to that that skill set. Mark's strength is not working with animals, and he will be the first to admit that. My strength is not agronomy, like just or GPS for that matter. Like if I lose it, I'm I'm screwed. Like I'm on the phone with him because I don't know how to do that stuff. And I honestly, it's not my passion. So I think you find your skill set, you find what works, you figure out ways that that um, that working together makes you it it just makes you better uh, because you're filling the void of the other person. And Amanda, that common thread of a partnership is something you've talked about too with your husband, Andrew, right from when you and he met. He comes from a dairy farm as well, from his background. And he already had a full-time job off of a farm in the, in, in the same industry. So it was kind of a natural thing that he would come in and I was doing chores and then he'd kind of slowly come in and go, hey, why don't you try this? Hey, why don't you try that? And then it would just kind of became a partnership right off the bat. So let's back up then, Amanda, and start from the beginning. When did you decide you were going to become a farmer and come home to the family farm? Well, it's actually kind of a funny story because uh, I grew up, there's two houses on our farm. And next door was my aunt and uncle and they had four kids. And my dad is the younger brother and my brother and I grew up together at the same farm. And uh, I always assumed since my cousins were so much older than myself, 13, 15 years older, that that was their thing. They're going to farm. We're just here to play and have fun. So all, all growing up, I, farming was never even a, a thought in my mind. And it wasn't until I went to Conestoga College for business marketing right out of high school uh, I got into about second year of marketing and just thought, you know what? I don't like living in the city. I don't like where this is going. And I just, I think I blew my parents out of the water because we never really, I never was in the barn lots. And uh, it just kind of came out of nowhere. And I've never left. I've enjoyed every minute of it since. I do know that feeling since I had a similar conversation when I did the same thing, Amanda. So, Take me back to the conversation around your place in which you blew your parents out of the water. What did they say? Actually, I remember it plain as day telling my mom. And I actually talked to my dad about it this morning. I'm like, do you remember when I 
told you I wanted to come home because we both, I think we both kind of blocked that memory out. I don't even know why, but I remember coming home Thanksgiving and uh, I guess, well, um, I came home Thanksgiving and we, weekend from Conestoga College and I sat my mom down outside and I said, I it just came out of nowhere. I said, what, did you, what would you think if I decided to go to school for agriculture? And she, I just remember her looking at me going, what? Like, well, I don't, like, they didn't, didn't even see it. Anyways, and I probably told my dad doing chores, like, just kind of under my breath, in the parlor, milking, and just said, what would you think if I came home to do chores? And I don't even remember what he said, but my dad and I are very similar, and I think it's uh, kind of like, no word unsaid, you kind of understand where each other's coming from. And we've always worked really well together. We've always been very similar personalities. So I think it just kind of happened organically and just kind of came to. Now, he put me through the ringer, whereas if you want to come home and farm, you can't farm here. You've got to um, work other places first to see if this is what you really want. And I kind of, you know, you try and prove somebody wrong. (laughs) But, yeah, that's kind of, uh, they were very supportive, even though they did not see it coming. Okay, so you're going to try to prove your dad wrong as he is trying to make sure that this is what you wanted to do by putting you to work. So what did that look like? Were you milking at home, working on a neighbor's farm? So I thought I would jump right into it. So I I decided to get, um, I left school. I dropped out of school around Christmas, so the end of that semester, second year. And I got a job at the University of Guelph Research Station. So that was 4.30 mornings, 12-hour shifts, and uh, milking over 100 cows. So it was a good eye-opener, but I really enjoyed it. The people that were there were great, and they were really helpful with uh, teaching me new things. And uh, and then I'd come home at the end of the day and still milk at home. And the nice thing about that, it was technically shift work. So you'd milk three days, you'd have two days off. So those two days off, I'd milk at home. So, yeah, jumped right into it. And then went off to uh, Kempville, closer to Ottawa, for uh, the Diploma Egg program. Now, Amanda and Andrew have three kids, their oldest being four and a half years old, their youngest just a couple of months old. I had to ask Amanda what that's like, having the kids around the farm and around the barn. Well, they all get to participate in one way or another. Um, When it was, uh, uh, it's interesting now, Ava being four and a half, she's more vocal of like, I don't really want to go to the barn. Now, I'm very fortunate in that being that there's still two houses on our property. My husband and kids and I live in one and my parents live in the other. So they have the option to go over to grandma's house, which I try to keep them to come to the barn. But uh, it's a lot nicer because it's a new barn. So I've got a nice office and they can all hang out and watch a movie in there. It is it is tricky because you're focused at trying to get chores done and somebody's hungry, somebody needs to go to the bathroom, somebody's crying. So chores does take a little bit longer, but it's kind of neat to kind of sit back and think I can go to work with my kids. They get to kind of live the life that I lead and uh, work alongside me then this isn't a case of the kids going to daycare every day or are you working to nine to five? Well, it's it's half and half. So when um, Ava and Archer, when it was just the two of them, they I had them in daycare two days a week so that I could have 
two days to get a lot of full, fully a full day's work of what I needed to get done. And then they were home for those other three days. And then on weekends, my husband's home, my mom, my mom's home next door. So they were, they're a good help. But um, now that Austin's here, and luckily now Ava's kindergarten age, she's at school five days a week. And I have Archer still in daycare a couple days a week. And then now Austin and I get to spend full working days together. But uh, he's easy to transport. He sleeps a lot. He can go in a little chest carrier, which is good for tractor work and skid steer work. And then pushing a little stroller around while you do your chores. That It's just the name of the game. I give you a lot of credit there, Amanda, because I think around our farm and the fact that for sure there are days when the kids are around helping, but other days there were times when I'd say the kids can't help because of what we're doing. I guess all I can think of is how exhausting this must be. One day at a time. Now, I was, I'm very lucky. Well, we've kind of got a, like a system working out right now where I'll go out, do chores in the morning on my own. And then, and Andrew stays in the house and then I come in at seven o'clock and then he gets ready for his work day while I get the kids ready for daycare school or whatever we got to do. And then go take them to the bus, take them to daycare. And then I can at least come back in the house after I've got Austin and I figure out what, what the day is. And then we kind of play it out at night. Does the whole family go out to the barn and do chores or does one person stay in the house and figure out what to eat for supper while the other one does chores it's kind of it's definitely a team effort like it's it's uh it's a play day by day day by day it sounds like hour by hour sometimes in figuring out how to balance the farm the family and the kids and just all of it every day is different and there's no schedule i can't even imagine how many how many times people are like oh how often does austin sleep or how often do you feed him and i'm like it just depends he's kind of I've trained my kids to be on our schedule. They're, they've got no schedule. Parenting with that goes out the window when you try and farm. Then if you go back to that Thanksgiving weekend you talked about, the time you rendered your mom speechless when you said you wanted to come home to farm, now things are a hundred times busier for you than they were then, but you seem to be taking it in stride. You and your parents both sound like they're still enjoying it. It's funny, I almost kind of think that sometimes, I'm like, do they take away from their retirement? Did I kind of create a lifestyle they were thinking about getting out of and kind of quieting down somewhere else? But when I ask my mom about it now, she's like, I get to stay in the home that I've built and that I enjoy. And she's like, I get to live next door to my grandparents or my my grandkids. And a lot of um, her friends don't have the luxury of seeing their grandkids anytime, any weekend. Like, it's just, they're always there. She sees them running around. They don't have to come over. They don't. They can come home a lot of the time. But she has that luxury. And uh, I, I think that they're enjoying that part. And I enjoy seeing um, my son learn stuff from my, my dad. And, like, they go on the tractor together. And they, he likes to work with him every once in a while. And it's kind, of, it's kind of neat to see that next generation come in and enjoy it like I did in the same, on the same farm. Then you as a young woman, Amanda, taking over the farm, now we hear this more and more, and it definitely is more common than we saw even 10 or 15 years ago, where it doesn't matter son or daughter anymore. Do you see that trend continuing? I was very fortunate to have parents that they didn't even bat an eyelash. They're like, okay, if this is what you want to do, we'll figure it out. We'll do it. 
And um, just like my sister-in-law, Emily, she's taking over their dairy farm. They just built a brand new gorgeous dairy barn with two robots in it. And there is a lot of people now that I go to trade shows and uh, and you walk around and talk to people. There's a lot of people that daughters are taking over or would like are interested in farming. I just think it's that generation that has kind of come up where we've learned that if you want to do something, you can do it if you put your mind to it. And uh, it's still you still have to prove yourself in some way that you can work hard and that you can and accomplish things. But um, I just I just feel that everyone isn't really turning a blind eye to their daughter anymore. They're like, why can't my daughter? Now, one of the things that I hear and I've read on social media before, and I'll pick on the sales reps for various companies that might drop into a farm to sell something, I've heard of them coming to the door and asking if they could talk to the husband or the dad without bothering to ask the woman standing right in front of them about anything related to this farm. Have you ever had that, Amanda? I felt very fortunate because working with my dad for so many years, just alongside of him and growing up, like there's always salesmen coming in the driveway. So I've got to know, and a lot of these salesmen that are coming in are friends of the family for years and we've bought seeds from them for years or we've done all this stuff for years. So I've already kind of had that relationship with them that yes, I'm Doug's daughter. Oh, I'm Doug's daughter, my father. And, um, so when I, when he started uh, kind of pairing me up in the industry, like just uh, in conversation saying, yes, my daughter's looking for taking over the farm or she's wanting to, he was very helpful as well, kind of saying, oh, it's not me to talk to now, it's my daughter. So he was very helpful at that. But then I knew a lot of these salesmen already that were coming in. So it was an easy transition. I was very fortunate that way. And if new ones do come in, they are, they don't immediately jump to that question anymore they just start talking to you to see how much you know before they make the assumption of oh it's somebody else that I could talk to I've noticed that change if there's anybody new coming in they're kind of hesitant to immediately say is there a male around so then do you think all of those stereotypes are disappearing then in my area well just from my own experience i can't talk about anybody else's experience but i've i don't feel like i've actually really felt that now i will say that i didn't say in the last question was that there i'm noticing more women sales coming in and um it's kind of nice to see a lot more younger women coming in and and selling and um but no i haven't really felt it's kind of that farming community that i grew up go- going to the the fairs and I grew up my parents being involved in the fairs and applying matches and everything so I've always kind of felt that network and they're very welcoming to a next generation to come in so it's kind of hard for people to not take you seriously when they already know you. And so there you have it whatever you thought a farmer looked like whatever you thought they were and weren't capable of doing throw it out because as Sandy said farmers are business people and as Amanda said They are busy no matter what their gender. It's more about getting everything that needs to be done, done, and just doing what you love to do. Who really cares about what you eat? You do. 
and these 200 plus food experts. Bestfoodfacts.org connects you with leading university experts on food and farming in North America. With over 500 questions answered and new content weekly, it's a dependable source available across all social channels. Get the details you want from credible people who've dedicated their entire careers to the study of food. You care about what you eat, so take time to digest the facts. Visit bestfoodfacts.org today. It's hard to believe, but that makes a dozen for our episode count here at Food Bubble. Special thanks to our team of producers, Jess Campbell, Jess Nicholson, and Ashley Ferrero. Ashley was the one behind this episode as we put it together here at Fresh Air Media. You can find the podcast on whatever smart device you keep in your pocket. Just launch the podcast app like Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or Spotify, and search Food Bubble. We also have all the episodes on our website, thefreshair.ca. A big thanks to everyone who has given a review or a rating to the podcast, including Amand JWWE, who said, Love hearing from primary producers up to food scientists. Have learned so much from every episode. Thanks for that. And of course, if you haven't yet, we'd appreciate a review from you. Because between it and hitting the subscribe button, it all helps in getting more people finding us. We'll even try to make a note of those reviews, especially the nicest ones. We're going to take a couple of weeks off as we prepare for the next dozen episodes in Season 1, so don't panic. If you don't hear from us right away, we'll, of course, be back partway through May. 